and welcome to another edition of Conversations and Connections. As I like to say, the official podcast of the Family Crisis Center of East Texas. I'm Stuart Burson, the prevention coordinator for the agency. And a new year is upon us. Hopefully it goes a heck of a lot better than 2020 did. And uh, with me today is Maria Villarreal. Did I get that right? <laughs> yes, you did. Okay. <laughs> well, just some hindsight before we get to started. Maria has been, since I've been with the agency now for a little over three years, Maria has always been Maria Sanchez. And she's always been just called Sanchez because we have like... A dozen Marias working here. Mm-hmm. Yep. Then you had to get married and just screw the whole system up. <laughs> and now everybody is having a hard time with my last <laughs> and name. Now I always have this pause now because she used to be Sanchez. Hey, Sanchez. And now it's like, hey, Villarreal. Such a fancy name. <laughs> anyway, uh, Maria V. Villarreal is with me today. And... Um, Something that I've never really talked about, and I don't know how much we as an agency have really concentrated on, and that's human trafficking. Uh, January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. And uh, Maria, first of all, um, I guess we should explain what brings you here to the show today, because it is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. What is your role in the agency? What is your job title and what do you do? So I'm the sexual assault slash human trafficking specialist. Um, I've been doing this for, I've been here at the agency for four years. Um, So before I got this position, I was a sexual assault services coordinator um, for about three years. And I focused primarily, well, only on sexual assault victims, Um, helping them move forward, uh, you know, trying to see how we can help them and everything. Well, um, the, the position that I'm And now it opened up last year, actually, I believe in November. Um, And so not only am I focusing on helping sexual assault survivors, but I'm also focusing on helping human trafficking victims. Um, And so it has been a journey. I'm very excited with the progress that we've made. Um, So, yeah, that's that's what it entails of. I I specialize in human trafficking survivors now. All right. So I think all of us at one time or another have heard that phrase or that word human trafficking. And of course, leading up to preparing for this podcast, you and I have had several discussions about human trafficking and the differences between that and sex trafficking. Uh, So I know today we're really talking about human trafficking. I guess let's just start out with the definition. What exactly, when we say human trafficking, what are we talking about? So when we're talking about human trafficking, um, the first thing I want to say is that it's not like the movie Taken. So it's not like where victims are just walking down the streets or in the mall or something, and then somebody approaches them and they get kidnapped. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but that's not what we tend to see. Um, What we tend to see is that the trafficker tends to be somebody that knows the victim. So the definition of human trafficking, it involves the exploitation of a person through the use of force, fraud, or coercion. Um, so there are a lot of different forms of human trafficking. Um, and so I'm not going to get into all of them because we don't see all of them here in the U.S. and here in Texas. Um, what we tend to see is labor trafficking and sex trafficking primarily. Um, and I actually brought the formal definitions according to the TVPA. The, okay. um, the 
the Trafficking Victims Protection Act of 2000. So they define labor trafficking and sex trafficking differently. So the formal definition of labor trafficking is the recruitment, harboring, transportation, provision, or, or obtaining of a person for labor or, or services through the use of forced fraud or coercion for the purposes of, of subjugation to voluntary servitude, peonage, debt bondage, or slavery. So basically what it entails of is that a person is providing some sort of service, like in the construction business or um, in a restaurant, and they don't get paid at all or they get paid very little, or they only get paid through tips. And so what we tend to see is that debt bondage um, occurs, where, for example, the trafficker may be like, hey, if you come work with me, um, you only have to pay me $2,000 just for transportation, um, just for like the beginning of, of your journey to my workplace. And so they're like, okay, well, you know, I'll pay you that much and everything. So because they're not being paid at all or being paid very little, they're not able to pay them back. And then not only that what we tend to see is that that debt starts accumulating. It starts going up because now they have to pay for rent. Now they have to pay for utilities, hygiene products, and things like that. So they tend to stay in that debt forever, and they can't seem to get out of it. Okay. So your job, I guess, you work with anyone. It's not necessarily... I know we're the Family Crisis Center. Everybody thinks about sexual assault and, and, and domestic violence. But when, when you're working with human traf- people who've been involved with human trafficking and trying to help these folks, it doesn't necessarily – what you're working on, I don't guess it necessarily has to be sex trafficking. It can be the labor trafficking or yeah, whatever, it, right? Yeah, it can be the sex trafficking, the labor trafficking, um, other traffickings. Other forms of trafficking that I'm aware of are like child soldiers, which obviously we don't see that here. What is tend to see in like war torn countries. And recently what I've learned is that like children are forced to like train and like break down um, camels um, for races in Saudi Arabia. So, I mean, they don't have to be just uh-huh. victims of labor and sex trafficking. They could be victims of other forms of human trafficking. But like I said, here in the U.S., what we tend to see is labor and sex trafficking. Okay. And and some of these folks, you know, also when I hear that word trafficking, in my mind conjures up these images of of people being transported miles and miles and miles away from their home. Is that the case or is that, again, the Hollywood portrayal of trafficking? I feel like that's like the, like you said, the Hollywood portrayal of human trafficking. Yeah. They don't need to be transported at all, actually. Um, they can be trafficked. In homes, um, so have, someone from East Texas can be trafficked just in East Texas, and yes. it's still trafficking yep. per se. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. All right. So I guess that almost kind of answers my next question, but I still want us to to go over that. As you know, why do we need to be concerned about human trafficking here in East Texas? You know, again, and it may be Hollywood's fault or just the stories that we hear. You know, we think of human trafficking and it happens in metropolitan areas and the big cities and things like that. But obviously there's a need for someone like you to be here in East Texas. So mm-hmm. what, why do we need to be concerned about that here? So um, the reason why is because it is happening here. Um, it's not just happening internationally or in big cities, like you said, it's happening here. And if you look at the, the red triangle in Texas, 
um, which is an area of where most of the human trafficking reports are coming from. So it's from the Dallas, Houston, San Antonio area. We're actually right outside of it. We're still in the little shade of red. So we're not in the triangle, so to say, but we're still right side, right outside of it. Okay. Um, and it is happening here, like I said. And I actually found out years ago that the uh, Nacogdoches Lufkin area is considered like a pit stop for traffickers. So they go they go through fifty nine to transport victims. And I know originally said that they don't need to be transported, but they are. They can be. Um, so that's why we need to be concerned because it is happening here. Um, we're getting more and more victims, survivors of human trafficking. Okay. All right. And when you say go th- for anybody who's actually not here in East Texas, when we say go through 59, that's Highway 59 mm-hmm. yes. that goes from um, Laredo, I guess, all the way up through Houston is probably what we're familiar with. Then on up, it's uh, Highway State Highway 59. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what services like, okay, so there's a need for your services that you provide here in East Texas. What services does the Family Crisis Center provide in regards to human trafficking? Um, and I don't know if it's fair to say victims. I know in domestic violence and sexual assault circles, we we try to use the word survivor. We try mm-hmm. not to use the word victim. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming that's kind of the same uh nomenclature for human traf- the human trafficking uh, world. What services do we provide for these folks? So, um, you know, it's, all, it's, it's the same in regards to we still provide them with um, counseling services, protective order, legal advocacy and everything, but um, it's, it looks more intense and more long-term. Um, so what I'm trying to do is essentially like beat the trafficker at their own game. Um, and we do that a lot, um, just because we have the safe house here, we provide a listening ear, the counseling and everything. But, um, one of the things that we're looking into is, um, becoming a CSA advocate. Um, it stands for commercially sexually exploited youth. It's where, um, I will be working with people up to the ages of 22 to provide that intense care, the long-term care. And so what it entails of is that I will go, it will be a more personal level, more intimate, more comfortable, where like I I learned that a CSA advocate can take them out for lunch, can take them out for dinner, can buy them groceries, can transport them from here to El Paso, to Houston, and things like that. Um, And it entails of a lot of training because it's it's going to be on a more personal level. I just learned that agencies who have CSA advocates, they're actually providing um, the CSA advocates with access to social media accounts so that way a survivor can contact them through Snapchat, through Facebook. And I actually learned that Snapchat is actually the preferred method because like, we have the, the texting services here. But if a trafficker were to get a hold of a human trafficking survivor's um, cell phone, maybe they didn't have enough time to delete that message. Well, with Snapchat, that message will go away. So that trafficker will have no idea that the survivors are trying to reach out for help through mm-hmm. Snapchat. So it, it still entails of the same thing, like counseling, like I said, legal advocacy, but it'll be more intense. So I can't really confirm that I'm a CSA advocate, but we're heading that right. way. So 
it, it'll look different. Do you know our agent, other agencies like the Family Crisis Center, uh, or is it starting to be more common now for them to have uh, human trafficking specialists, advocates like like yourself? Is yes. that is that becoming more common now? Yes, yes. Um, and we are partnering up with the Office of the Governor and with TASA to see what all we need to do. Um, so that way we could, I could become a CSA advocate and possibly have another person in there because, like I said, it will be more intense and on the more, like, personal level with the survivors because what we're going to try to do is just fill that void, um, mm-hmm. help them understand that we really are here for them. And they can reach out to us to talk about anything at any given time, any time of the night. So that's how it'll look a little bit more differently. Okay, okay. So how long have you been doing this now? In this position, exactly a year. One year. Okay. Can you tell me within that year, how many people have you seen in regards to your role as in in human trafficking? How many um, folks have we've helped or that we've uh, provided services to? So we don't have like an internal data system, so to say, to keep up with the exact numbers yet. Um, but I want to say within the within this year, um, I want to say maybe about twenty, maybe. Really? Yeah, maybe tw- somewhere between twenty and thirty. I want to say. Wow. Yeah, and they're they're okay. coming from all parts of of the state of the country. So it's not like they have to just be residents here in Lufkin or Nacogdoches. They can come from the Harris County, from Montgomery County. They can come from all over the state. And we actually do partner up with some agencies where they do call us and they're like, Hey, we have a human trafficking survivor. Can they come and seek services with y'all? Okay. Well, that was going to be my next question is here. We're in Angelina County. How would someone that's in Harris County know about us? Is it referrals from law enforcement or do they, come on their own so let's say their their referrals uh typically out from the agencies out there and out there in harris county or montgomery county okay um i know that some survivors have actually learned about us in the internet they're like looking up okay well i'm a survivor of sexual assault domestic violence too where else can i go mm-hmm. but we are we typically see referrals from those agencies in like the houston area what agencies do you work with uh, either locally or throughout the state um, um so common thread um, we actually work very closely with them. Um, I know that they've brought us all of their survivors over here because the survivors are needing another place to stay. Um, they need to get away from that area. Mm-hmm. Um, BCFS as well. Um, for the silent, we've actually worked with them a few times. So those are some of the, okay. the agencies that we work what about, with. about um, law enforcement? Yes. Um, well, the, the thing about it is that... Um, the survivors, they usually come to us seeking services. And so we don't get a lot of referrals from law enforcement. Okay. Um, and it makes sense because trafficking victims, just like domestic violence, sexual assault survivors, they're not going to want to make a report a lot of the times. And the, the percentage of them wanting to make a report, the human trafficking survivors, is a lot less and all those reasons are valid. So I actually don't see a lot of referrals from law enforcement yet. Mm-hmm. But I have a feeling, I have a very funny feeling, that once we start yeah. raising awareness on this crime, 
we're going to start seeing a lot more survivors coming through right. and even with law enforcement. Would you work with law enforcement agencies, maybe not as far as them giving you referrals, but maybe just like your role, would you ever be called upon to go to court to testify or um, anything like anything like that in that capacity? Um, I'm assuming so. I mean, I feel like anybody who, who deals with survivors yeah. may has a chance of getting subpoenaed and having to testify for them. Sure. Sure. Okay. Uh, have you worked with someone yet that you can kind of share their story with me uh, as far as like a success story, like they were knee deep in uh, the trafficking environment and they they've come to us and we've kind of we've we've helped them out and now they're uh, they got their life together and they're on their own again and they're on the path to recovery and success so um before I get into that I, I do want to say that success looks differently for every survivor some survivors they may just want to get counseling yeah and that's it. Other survivors, they may want to get a protective order. They mm -hmm. may want to make a report. They may want to come to the safe house, get housing and everything like okay. that. So I can't really put my standards of success onto them because it looks different for everybody. And if they just want to get counseling, that is perfectly fine. I'm here to make that referral. Yeah, sure. Um, but there, there is one that I'm thinking about where um, she, she was promised to only – go to Houston for a couple of days to visit the trafficker's family. She didn't know that he was going to be trafficking her, obviously. So whenever she went to Houston um, and those couple of days passed up, she was like, oh, well, you know, I want to go back home and everything. Well, he was just like, well, you know, you're not, you know, and then he started selling her and everything. So she actually um, went and got in trouble because there was a uh, drugs nearby her, they actually he they got stopped, and so he told her he was just like, hey, you know, if you don't take the blame, I'm I'm gonna kill your family. So she took the blame for the drugs and she went to jail and everything. Well, um, she came to us, we made a report, and I contacted the local, well, not the local DA, I'm sorry, the DA at the at where it took place, um, in the city. And so I was just like, hey, you know, um, this person made a report. This is what happened. And I understand that she's facing possibly prison time. Can you take off the charges? And if not, can you lessen mm -hmm. the, the, the punishment? Because she was looking at five years in prison. Um, well, instead of getting five years in prison, she got five years of probation. Now, it's, it's hard to, I want to say that's a, a success because she didn't get that prison time. She got probation instead, and it, it was hard to prove anything because it became a matter of he said, she said type of deal. So she was very, she felt very lucky that she was still able to keep her job, to be in touch with her mom personally and everything. Mm -hmm. um, and another one is that um, I know that she was working for her GED, um, and she actually has her own place now. Um, she was trafficked through various cities and, you know, she, she just wanted to like, just yeah. be calm and stay in one spot. So, right. um, yeah, it's, it's been great. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, so like we said at the beginning of the, the beginning of, um, the show here, when we first started January is 
Human Trafficking Awareness Month, and we decided when we, um, when Maria and I were talking about doing an episode of Conversations and Connections regarding human trafficking, it's such a it's such a big deal, and there's probably so much to cover. We decided we're going to devote the whole month of uh, these episodes to human trafficking. So this is just one of four uh, shows that we're going to do uh, talking about human trafficking. We're going to have diff- other uh, other folks on along with Maria to talk about it. But what I want to touch on is uh, maybe some events that we have coming up in mm-hmm. January to mark the occasion what are what uh what's in the books what are you working on so um what we're working on is that this is a a set date for january 23rd that we're having a walk um at the sfa location at 10 a.m um and that is to raise awareness on human trafficking um just do a little speech thanking everybody but not just that but also give some statistics some facts about human trafficking and we're gonna walk around sfa to raise awareness. Okay. And so obviously this podcast too. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and then we're also um, establishing a coalition to that way we can raise awareness on human trafficking, not just for like, you know, agencies like us, law mm-hmm. enforcement, um, CACs or anything like that, but it'll be community based. So everybody from the community, from churches, from clinics, um, just everybody from the community from the community is welcome to join this coalition. Okay. Who do you, is it okay like if anybody's interested in joining the coalition or taking part in the walk, what do who do they contact? Can they contact you or do they just show up for the walk on, on the 23rd? Or? Yes, um, they can contact me. That way, you know, I can just know, like, who's all showing up and everything. But they can also just show up if they want to. Okay. Um, they, they don't have to contact me or anything. Um, I know that I, I would like to keep track of how many people showed up and everything. That way, once we do it again next year, if we do it again mm-hmm. next year, maybe we can better plan for something a little bit bigger. And so, I mean, they're more than welcome to reach out to me. But... They can just show up if they want to. Okay, um, and when we when we wrap things up, we'll maybe share your email and, of course, um, our our hotline. Where um, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and say, you know, if they call the hotline. They can uh, whoever answers, they can tell what they're what they're wanting uh, to do, and they and they can get a hold of you that way. Um, Obviously, and I and I ask a lot of people who are in direct care this who who've been on the show because I just think it's another interesting part of your job. The job you have can be I'm going to just assume stressful. Uh, you see a lot of ugly things in the world. How do you deal with work-related stress that you might encounter? Like at the end of the day, what do you do to separate what you've <laughs> done at work? Because also you're you're a sexual assault advocate. You're you know you do all these other things. Also, you know what do you do to kind of decompress? Maybe at the end of the day. Well, it's funny because I don't like decompress at the end of the day, so to say. I kind of started off at the beginning of the day, if that makes sense. Because, like, you know, I like to work out. That's my way of decompressing. But the funny thing is that 
And I've tried doing it after work, but I'm yeah. just not an evening person. I'm just not. So, so you're I, one of the, do you get up like at five in the morning? Or <laughs> shoot. So, and you're at the gym, like at the crack of dawn. Yes. Yes. I was actually at the gym this morning. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So those, that's my way of like, you know, decompressing. I also like, um, I like to spend some alone time, if that makes sense. I know that maybe no, some... No, 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 no. I, I get it. Sure. No. <laughs> I know that some counselors don't recommend that, but alone time for me, that's my way of recharging. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just thankful to have a husband who, like, isn't trying to always be all up in my business, but being... <laughs> <laughs> like, about being alone, that is my way of yeah. decompressing after okay. work. All right. What made you decide, you know... Little Maria, wherever, where'd you grow? Where are you from? Where'd, where'd you grow up? I'm actually from Mesquite. I'm from the Dallas area. Okay. So Little Maria in Mesquite, <laughs> trying to decide what she wants to do with her life. And you graduate from high school. What made you decide to get into the social services realm and to pursue? You, you just recently got your master's, probably about a year ago, I guess, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. What made you decide to pursue this line of work? Well, it's funny because I never intended to be in like in the social services field. Um, I remember growing up, I wanted to be like a real estate agent and then I want to be in the army. But it shifted at the age of 15 when I saw a documentary about human trafficking and the title um, involved modern day slavery. And I was okay. like, I thought we were done with slavery. So I watched it. And I was just so moved by it. Like, I yeah. I was just like, I can't believe this is still happening. So um, I I went to the military, um, and that didn't work out. I actually got injured, so I got medically discharged and everything. So I was like, well, I'm back at square one. I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. But I knew I wanted to do something with human trafficking. Okay. So I got accepted into SFA, got my bachelor's degree there. But before I got my bachelor's degree, um, I actually wanted to volunteer here. Um, and so I remember walking through the office and I'm, and I'm meeting with the former sexual assault services coordinator at the time. And she told me that, you know, well, it's too late. Like we're already doing the training and everything. But then she told me how the position will be opening up soon. And she told me to apply. So I applied. I didn't think I was going to get it because I had no experience. I never volunteered. I didn't know what I was doing, but I'm just thankful I got the job. And that's cool. that's how I stayed. Did you intern here or anything? No, okay. <laughs> nothing. I know a lot of folks who intern wind up wind up working here, so I didn't know if that was your story as well. No. Okay. Mm-mm. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Maria. Of course, you know we're going to be doing this three more times. Uh, Maria will be on with us at the next episode as well. We're going to continue this conversation and and go a little deeper. And we have some other guests, from, actually from outside the Family Crisis Center, that will be on here. Uh, from law enforcement to further have this discussion. And I can always tell wherever I'm at in this building where Maria has been, <laughs> if she leaves her her uh, Selena, excuse me, her <laughs> Selena cup, who she has Selena, her Selena cup with her. Yes, big right Selena now. fan. <laughs> Basically, she's a big Selena fan. So I can always tell, well, Maria's been here. She left her cup. I know that's Maria. All right. Um well, listen, if you have any questions uh, regarding uh, human trafficking or um, if you want to get in, in touch with Maria, let's give, if you don't mind, give us your email address. Somebody wants to reach out to you, I guess specifically about the coalition. How can they get a hold of you through email? Uh, 
Um, so my email is m sanchez s a n c h e z at f c c e t dot com. Um, it'll probably be jo- um changing to m v i r e l So that'll be m v i l l a r r e a l at fccet.com has a lot of letters. <laughs> if you maybe want an easier way to get a hold of Maria, I'm just, I'm, I'm kidding, of course. And I, I also just want to throw this out there. Like, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not the only one trying to form this coalition. Um, we do have a volunteer advocate. Her name is Amy Smith, who is also helping me form this coalition. Okay. So um, if anybody has ever heard of Amy Smith, you know, can also reach out to her um, or reach out to me. All right. Uh, it, and again, if you have any questions or comments and want to reach out to us uh, through email regarding uh, conversations and connections, uh, we do have our own email. That's conversations and connections at FCCET.com. And also, if you feel like you need our services for any reason, or if you want to call uh to, to reach out and, and get in touch with Maria, we do have a 24-hour hotline that is answered uh, seven days a week. That number is 1-800-828-7233. That's 1-800-828-7233. And again, we'll pick up the conversation next time on Conversations and Connections. And remember, be the voice, if not for you, for someone else. Thank you.